My name is Pat Daly, and you're listening to Reclamation Worship. I'm Jason Allen, host of Reclamation Worship, the podcast devoted to reclaiming a biblical view of worship for the church. Well, thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Reclamation Worship. I'm excited that uh, you get to hear from Pat Daly today, North American Manager of Banner of Truth. So if you're not familiar with Banner of Truth, I hope you will visit reclamationworship.com and follow the link and learn more about this great ministry and all of the resources that they have available. Uh, Again, I will link to their ministry at reclamationworship.com. And uh, I will also link to the resources that Pat mentioned at the end of this episode. So I want to forewarn you, there were a lot of noises in this episode. My phone was blowing up and I had notifications going off left and right. I, I tried to disable them and when I got my phone quieted, the computer was going crazy. So uh, my apologies, it's all on, all on my end and not on Pat's. Uh, there was even a, a moment toward the end where uh, the phone started ringing, sounded like a telethon, but Pat uh, played it off well. And so, uh, again, that was on my end. And my apologies to Pat for all of the distractions. Uh, so bear with us through this, uh, uh, through the distractions. The content is great. Pat um, gave us a lot of great insights and a lot of great information. So let's head on over to the interview. Pat, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thank you. So tell me uh, who you are and, and um, how you came to know the, know the Lord. Sure. Um, well, I'm a Canadian by birth and was raised in Canada until I was about 20, 22. And then me and my wife moved to the States, but I, was, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Um, I grew up in a Roman Catholic home. We went to church uh, fairly regularly. Um, I had a high view of sin, and so I felt guilty all the time. But the gospel—I never really—I never heard the gospel. And as mm-hmm. far as I know, growing up, I didn't come into contact with any evangelical Christians until I went to university, or as in the states, I'd say college. Yeah, I've almost gotten used to saying that now as my default. But I try <laughs> to pull it out just so I can keep some Canadian identity. There you go. Uh, it was my first year of university, and in my dorm, I first time met some believers and at first they i wasn't really attracted to them but there's i just noticed something different about them mm-hmm. and uh just slowly as the year progressed in my dorm getting to know them i just being struck by something different about them and the way they what they did obviously they weren't getting drunk with me they weren't drinking on partying um and they were sweet and kind and i remember at one point wondering like, what do they want from me like why are they being so kind like, what, what are they after Mm. Uh, and uh, shortly after that, some of them invited me to their like a weekly meeting of like Campus for Christ, and that's where I first heard the gospel. And just was kind of overwhelmed by their hospitality and interest in me and kindness, and that that kept pulling me back. And so uh, I remember uh, some guys saying, "Hey, you should get involved with a Bible study with us." And, and and I said, "Sure, you know that sounds good. I should probably study the Bible." That you know. I, I say, I, I would at that point, I would have said I was a Christian. I believed in Christ, but I wouldn't have known what it was that man. And so I remember going to the, 
in Canada, not called Barnes and Noble, but it's similar to Barnes and Noble. And looking in the Bible section to find a Bible, a study mm. like I didn't know because we had this Bible study next week, and I didn't have a Bible. I didn't know. I was like, well, I should go to the library or bookstore, and I was hunting for a Bible. I got an NIV study Bible, and it was just through reading the Bible, uh, talking with Christians, and hearing the gospel that I understood that I needed a personal relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. And to have community with them, reunion with them, and to turn from my sins and cast all my cares and hopes and everything upon Him. So mm-hmm. that happened when I was about twenty years old, and then uh, that's how I, yeah, that's how I came to know the Lord. And then shortly after that, I met a young um, Presbyterian Reformed daughter of a pastor girl in Kipster Christ who one day became my wife, and that was helpful because then I came into contact with the reformed theology and the doctrines of grace and that that threw me for a bit and there was more bible study more studying slowly the lord helped me through other other men that he brought into my life who discipled me kind of build me up to take on the doctrines of grace and experimental calvinism high view of the lord's day these things kind of came slowly as the lord built me up and edified me so that that was nine ten years ago Mm-hmm. And here I am working at Banner of Truth, one of the big promoters of reform. You know, you know, the church is the primary promoter of the doctrines of the Bible, as, right. we, as uh, the scriptures are preached each Lord's Day, and people are disciple. But as a parachurch ministry, we try to keep a lot of these great relics, these great old books, and some new books that continue to promote faithful biblical Christianity. So here I am helping uh, lead some of that effort here in the states. And, it was only it wasn't that long ago that I knew nothing about this stuff. Wow. And uh, it's all the Lord's grace and, and I can see that at each turn in my life. Wow. Amen. Well we're gonna talk a little bit more about Banner of Truth in just a minute, but wanted to ask you, so you mentioned that you had a, a developed view of sin, a high view of sin, understanding of your fallenness. So did did the gospel come as a fresh breeze to you when, when you heard that, um, or walk me through that a little bit. Uh, you're, sure. ha- you know, feeling the weight of your sin uh, growing up, um, knowing about your sin, but uh, not knowing an answer for it or, or cure for it. Well, I knew that I was sinful. That I remember just guilt. I remember being in the fifth grade, and you know, having like you know, sinful thoughts about girls and lots of thoughts. And I remember I had a fifth grade um, religion teacher, or he was like a school teacher, and he told, remember him telling all the boys in our class, hey, you know all those thoughts you have, all those, all those temptations? Don't worry about it. Everybody has them. Mm. Like that. Everyone's like that. And I remember this huge sense of relief. Mm. Because, and I'm just thinking back about it now, because I had this internal, like, like I knew this was wrong. Yeah. But then he told me, he told all of us in the Catholic school group, no, that's fine. Like, everyone's like that. Like, you're, you're normal. And I remember being like, oh, I thought I was like a terrible awful sinner. Mm-hmm. And so growing up, like I knew internally that there was something wrong, that my relationship with God wasn't right, but I couldn't probably put it that way. Yeah. But I, what I was always being told was like, no, actually, Pat, you're a good guy. Like you, you go to church. You are a good kid. Like I was a flight. Well, my parents are good. Like you know, they raised me right. Yeah. Manners, service, like you know, hardworking, kind people. And so when you're up against a lot of people who are, you know, 
just jerks. Yeah. I, you know, I internally look, I'm better than them. Like, and mm-hmm. I'm in line before them for sure. Like, right. I know that. Like, and then I remember I would sit down at, uh, in, in, um, in a mass, you know, the, the priest would come to the Catholic school and we'd have mass together. And loads of my kids in my class had never been to mass. Mm. They, they were in a Catholic school. They claimed to be Catholic. They had no idea about the prayers, about the crossings. And I knew all that stuff. So once again, I felt like yeah, I'm, in, I'm in the front line. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm in the front row. Like, and I felt like a little Pharisee. Mm. Uh, and I lived a lot of my life that way. Um, and then it was just such a juxtaposition when I heard the gospel that, no, that it's not about you or your righteousness but even even your best works are filth the filthy rags before the lord he's so holy he's so different he's not just like a cleaned up superman that we've created mm-hmm. he's the god of the scripture and and you're not right before him unless you bow the knee and repent and turn to him and it's all of him and not of you and that that took me a while to wrestle with that but eventually I really I remember being convicted that, yeah, the reason that I love people and help people is because I feel good about it. Mm. So the reason I'm doing good is so that I can be good for me. Well, that's not love. And then just to, to kind of really meditate on what Christ did and how it was nothing. He didn't do it for him. You know, he's the king of glory. He left, he left the courts of glory to come down to the life of suffering and poverty and humiliation mm. for his you know, to, to, you know, his, his milk was to do the work of the Father. So he, he wanted to do the work of the Father. And, and that selflessness, that, you know, bearing, you know, that really hit me. And I'm like, I'm not like that. Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I've, never, I've never encountered that kind of love. The love that I do is, is very self-centered. And so just being overwhelmed with what Christ has done and my need for a relationship with him, you know, and I don't want to take too long on this, but last thing that came to mind was just the, how all my Christian friends talk about how they love God. Mm. And I didn't really have a category for that. Like, I mm. knew that he's the Father, he's, he's powerful, we respect him, we worship him. But, like, that kind of love and friendship and relationship, that was very unsettling. Wow. I remember that being like, I'm not familiar with that. What mm. is that? And looking into that more, it just seems, this is what, this is what it means to, to have a relationship with God. Wow. So, yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing that. Uh, I love hearing uh, testimonies of how the Lord yeah. saves people. And uh, it's really, really amazing. So thank you. So you mentioned uh, Banner of Truth. And uh, first, before you tell us what Banner of Truth is, tell us what you do for Banner of Truth, and then uh, maybe uh, segue into um, what it is that uh, that this uh, Banner of Truth is. Sure. So I'm the U.S. Manager for Banner of Truth. So Banner of Truth has a headquarters in Edinburgh, Scotland and the U.S. office in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. And in Scotland, they are primarily tasked with book production so and ed- editorial. So basically, the creating of a banner book. So dealing with authors, editing manuscripts, um, typesetting, designing the covers, producing the book, getting the book printed. And then in the U.S., we kind of pick up once the book arrives at a warehouse. And we're involved primarily in marketing and sales. So getting the book out, making sure that if you wanted to read one of our books, you could find them at a Christian bookstore, online, at our, at our own Banner of Truth, at our own website, to kind of make all these treasure troves um, accessible to Christians in North America. So that's okay. primarily what uh, I'm responsible for. 
Um, we have an office, a small office here of about eight staff. And uh, we, you know, we work with big accounts. We work with Amazon. We work with their own website. We go to conferences to try to promote our books. Uh, really, conferences is be- are becoming one of the last places where people can go and kind of have a bookstore experience because mm-hmm. we often show up in this thousands of books and get to peruse and ask questions. Not a bookstore manager, but uh, like a conference a booth attendant or something. Right. So we do a lot of conferences. We host our own pastors' conferences as well in the U.S., um, both in the East Coast and the West Coast. Um, and we also publish a monthly magazine. So I guess I am transitioning a bit into what Banner does, if that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> um, absolutely. The Banner was started as a monthly magazine in uh, the late 1950s in London. And they never, they didn't, they weren't sure if the work was going to continue after the first publication of the magazine, but there was enough interest and encouragement and support that it kept going. And, and our magazine has been going now for what, 60 plus years, um, right. which is amazing, really. A monthly magazine, you can subscribe to it, it's like $3 a month or something. Okay. So a great, a great price for a little, a little uh, gem that arrives at your door each month. Um, and then after the book publication, we got in, oh, pardon me, magazine uh, publishing. We obviously got into our book publishing, which is what we're most well-known for, publishing the best of the past from the Reformation to the present, but also working with new authors, people who are, I mean, it's not that we want to publish someone just because they're dead. Right. It's just that we, we can look back and say, well, what is the very best book on sanctification? Mm. Or what is the very best book on holiness? Is it something that's being written today? Or is it something that was written 200 years ago? And if it was, can we, can we produce it in a way that's attractive, that's affordable, can edit it nicely, so that we can turn people back to some of these great relics from the past? See, what, what a publisher has to do is they'll receive all these manuscripts, or they'll, they'll commission all these manuscripts to be written. And then they have to decide, is it worth doing? Is it good mm-hmm. enough? Right. Well, if you're only publishing books today, you have a small pool to pull from. If you kind of turn back and all of a sudden you're pulling in 500 years of Christian writing, you've got a lot more competitors for what's a really good book on the subject. So that's kind of the approach we take. And so a lot of what we do is promoting old books. Um, and we, yeah, we're, we're thankful for that ministry. Um, so yeah, book pub- yeah, it's a magazine, book publication, and then shortly after that, starting in the UK, but then later on in the the late 60s, early 70s in the States, we started hosting pastors' conferences. And we host one in the States, um, in uh, Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania, which is close to our U.S. office. And then we're hosting one in the fall in Marietta, California, in October. And they're simple, small pastors' conferences focused on ordinary means of grace, preaching of the word, prayer, fellowship. They're just really simple, but the, the men who come find it uh, just a helpful time to sit down and hear preaching. We don't really do lectures. We don't do breakout sessions. We just worship, we sing, mm-hmm. we pray and preach. You know, I don't think a lot of pastors don't get to sit under a lot of preaching. Mm-hmm. They're always doing preaching. And so we want our conferences to be an opportunity for men to sit and hear the word preached and be preached to by other ministers and then mm-hmm. go to lunch with other ministers and kind of, you know, it's a, it's a helpful, there's elders and missionaries and deacons that come as well, but it, it is, we try to limit the attendance to people in really involved in full-time ministry just so that we can have that intensified um, yeah. time of uh, fellowship and accountability with other men who are going through the same struggles. 
Yeah. Um, so that it can not only be edifying as you as you hear the word, but as you let it seep in and, and, and work work out through your life and ministry, you can work with other men there on it together. Um, so those are the three main things that we do here in the state. Great. How did you get involved with Banner of Truth? The Lord's kind grace. <laughs> um, I have no business working here on my own merits. Um, yeah, so I was finishing seminary. I went to Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary in South Carolina, small, professional, you know, faithful, lovely school. And I was graduating from there and planning to, my wife and I were planning to move back to Canada. And I figured out, you know, I had a business undergraduate degree. So I was planning to go into consulting. Um, but we had gone to, we had done this two year stint in South Carolina to go to seminary because I, as you remember, I, I wasn't converted until I was 1920. And then it wasn't shortly after there that I got, I was growing in my faith. I got married, but I still felt like there was just so much I needed to study and learn. Yeah. I wanted to serve the church in some capacity. I wasn't sure what that might be. So I went to seminary. And as I was finishing uh, and planning to move back up to Canada, this job became available. And the president of our seminary heard about it because he was kind of closely connected with people at Banner. And my father-in-law also, who had been part of Banner Ministers Conference for decades, also wow. heard about it. And I'm like, Pat, this is, you would love this. This is, you know, part business, part uh, theology uh, job. And I was like, well, yeah. I didn't think such things existed. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then I applied and convinced him to hire me. And I've been here for seven years, and it's a very, it's a great ministry, and it's a good job. Wow, fantastic! Mm-hmm. So, um, how for for folks who are not familiar with Banner of Truth, you mentioned that y'all uh, do publish books by living authors, but but a lot of your catalog is is made up of, to put it bluntly, dead men. Uh, so, why should people read? Uh, the dead guys rather than the books that are sitting at the top of the sales charts these days? Right. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think a lot of people who first come into contact with Banner are kind of curious as to what, what's the big deal? Why, why are you publishing so many old books? And I think that's because they're used to seeing so many new books, which is the normal pattern of book publishing is that you're publishing people who are living. Yeah. Um, but we just think there's, better books that have been written now so if but if that's the case if there's better books that have been written then why is everybody doing it? Mm. well they're much harder to market okay they're much harder to sell and so many publishers don't do it not because they're greedy you know, i'm talking about christian publishers not even secular publishers just forget about them for a minute yeah um, even other christian publishers not because they're greedy they just don't they're not sure that you'll be a very effective ministry if you're so outdated Let's get smaller books. Let's get the more, you know, easy to digest and the nice little stories like interspersed throughout the book. Like this is what it's just more sellable. It's more mm-hmm. consumable. Therefore, we will um, reach more people with more content if we do smaller newer books. There's some wisdom in that, and and there's ways there's ways in which you can really benefit from some of those books. But we've taken the approach now: forget about that sellability. Forget about how appealing it sounds or looks. What's the best? Like, give me the meat. Yeah. Like, give me the best stuff and tell me it's the best and, and I'll work through it. And if it's a bit harder to read or it's a bit anachronistic, that's okay. Like, I, I kind of want to study and be stretched and learn and I'm, I'm ready for something more. And so you run into men like Charles Hodge, Jonathan Edwards, 
John Calvin, um, John Owen, Thomas Watson, and you're inter you're introduced to this galaxy of of authorship that is intensely biblical, mm. soaked in scripture. Really, it, it, you know, we publish a lot of Puritans, and people wonder wonder why. There's probably not another generation that knew the Bible so well, and so. You remember, it wasn't long before the Puritans that you weren't allowed to have the Bible in your home in your own language. So this generation or the generation after it has the scriptures and, and values that. They realize how how precious this is, and so they're studying it uh, intensely. They know it left, right, and center, and so it comes through in the writing. And they're less trite and less. Um, they kind of don't waste your time mm. with with filler. They're just it's just packed full of heart-searching um, biblical content. And so if you've, and if someone is listening here and they've read, say, a Puritan writing, they know exactly what I'm talking about. Sure. And if someone here has never read it, then you really got to try it out. You, you just got to get your feet wet and maybe open like Thomas Watson's like All Things for Good, the small little accessible uh, Puritan paperback book. And, and you'll see what we're, what we're up, what we're talking about. But we just, we just think that they, they kind of pack a punch that we don't find as often in, in new literature, although you do sometimes find writers today that have that same kind of you know, seriousness and, and serious theological writing. And the other thing is reading older books kind of slows you down in your reading because it's not common language, although it's not that hard to read, honestly. You can read Thomas Watson. You, you know, your high school student could read Watson easily, mm -hmm. easily. Um, Ian Murray, Ian Murray, who's one of our founders, says it really has nothing to do with your intellectual capability. certain, there's a certain base intellectual capability. Yes, you can you read, you know. Right, right. <laughs> but then it's more about spiritual hunger. Mm. You're spiritually hungry for the Lord. You're willing to work through this harder to read but more spiritually helpful literature. If you're not spiritually hungry for it, you'll you won't be able to read it. You won't want to. Yeah. So it comes down to a little more about desire than than mental capability. The, the kind of older kind of writing, it does force you to slow down a bit. And I found that actually very helpful and a little more meditative, yeah. devotional as you're reading. You're not, you're not flying through 30, 40 pages at a time. You may be just taking small steps of so five pages here, 10 pages here, thinking about it more, slowing down. That's another thing that's really helpful about um, older books. But then I, I kind of touched on it earlier. It's also you just get to... to to look for a book on, say, justification, and you can, and, we're, and we might review in our minds hundreds of different books that have been written, and then choose the best one or two. Yeah. And you just often you just get get more classic, excellent books when you're willing to look back. Mm. Um, and so that's why we've been so interested in publishing lots of older books. That's good. Uh, yeah, that's good. We've talked about a few um, of. Banner of Truth's distinctives. Anything else come to mind that, that sets you apart from other publishers? Um, there, I mean, there's a lot of good Christian publishers today. We're blessed. Um, I think Tim Challies commented a couple of years ago about this. He calls it like the golden age of Christian publishing. Mm. And I think that's true. I mean, we, we've, we've rubbed shoulders with lots of different ministries over the years that these are serious men and women who love the Lord and want to do right by him and want to promote serious Christian books. Uh, and I can think of many different publishers that would fit that bill. And so Banner's not alone in this mission. 
I think one thing that separates Banner from the rest a little bit is just the way we're organized as a trust. So we're a nonprofit trust. You know, when we sell books, we don't. There's, there's lots of nonprofit Christian publishers too, but we we don't uh, earn a profit. You know, it's not like shareholders that that make money off this. Yeah. But almost more importantly, there's not shareholders who drive decisions on what we should publish. When we make decisions on what should be published, there's a room of trustees, where most of them pastors, probably like 80% pastors, and the ones who aren't pastors are elders, who are you know elders and businessmen. Yeah. And and they sit around and they review manuscripts and they and they discuss what we should, what should be published this year or this or, or next year, and they make the decision. So books can be submitted to us, or they might come up, with, you know, you know, someone like Sinclair Ferguson who kind of he's familiar with Christian books. Yeah. He might have an idea about a book that's not in print that we really ought to do. What's interesting is that I, I'm the sales and marketing guy. I'm not in that room. So I don't make that decision. Now, other, pub, other Christian publishers, they'll have, you know, an editorial board that makes it. But they're not, they're not staff. They're not paid by the banner. They're not going to benefit financially if we do have a good sales year. They're just ministers who are, who are committed to this ministry of, of promoting good books. And so they make the decision on what should be published. They're, they're theologically capable men who know if it's biblical or, or, or heterodox. And they also are the pastors, so they don't, it's not just, you know, really intensely deep stuff that's un, unrelatable or unhelpful to people in the pew. So right. they've got that pastor theologian mindset and they're, they're driving the direction of what we should publish. And then down the road, the guy in marketing and sales, <laughs> me, I'll hear what's coming out. So I might, I can have a little bit of feedback and, in terms of what the cover design will be or the title, and just to make it a little more marketable. Yeah, but that—that's one thing that insulates Banner from the the pressure to sell what is really hot and popular. Okay, which is you do see that pressure pushing a little bit on other Christian publishers where they there's a big name, there's a big pastor, big conference, big preacher. We got to get a book from him. Yeah. Well, can he write? Yeah. Is he a good writer? Um, oh, well, well, we'll get a couple copy editors to work with him. Okay, so he's not really writing the book. Right, right. Um, is, is his content, like, the, those decisions get made all the time. You yeah. Know? And, and I remember a conversation at one point where, where, where someone asked a question to a group of publishers, and they asked, how do you get, how do you get published? And, and the guy responded, uh, this other Christian publisher responded, well, do you have a good follow, like a big following? Do you, are you active online? Do you have, like, are you willing to push your book? And I remember thinking, I remember almost, you know, my, my jaw just dropping. <laughs> I almost sort of like rebuking this guy. Right. Like, what are you doing? Like, what are you about? Like, that, that cannot be the reason why yeah. we want to publish this guy or not. Right. Or, or this lady or not. Mm. Um, is it biblical? Is it spiritually edifying? Is it helpful? Has the Lord used it in your ministry? Does he seem to be blessing this work? Um, that's what drives the banner when we make our decisions. And, there's, and there are a couple other people who have that, that, that bent as well. And we praise the Lord for those brothers in ministry. Um, but that, that's what helps banner. And then also just being organized by a, a trustee board. It's not like there's a, a dad who owns the company, or a father figure who owns the company who's then going to give to his son. Yeah. And then you wonder, or did the son have the same convictions as the father? Mm. Um, and that's what, you know, Baker Urban's on, I shouldn't be naming. Um, 
but that you know it's kind of that like it's a family-owned christian publisher and then over yeah. the years kind of the commitment to like a confessional orthodoxy which you found in a lot of older like say urban's writings you might not find today mm. Um, mm. and 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 so Bandit's kind of insulated from that because of the way we have a board of trustees who are rotating. That's great. Bringing in other, you know, they choose another faithful guy and that and so on and so forth. So that's part of what keeps us uh, faithful over the long term. But it's also, it's, we can say all that, but it's, we, when the, the trustees meet or the staff meet, we, we, we recognize and appreciate that it's the Lord's work. It's his kindness that if it was all by our own strength, we would, we would have not, we would still not be here today. Mm. It's, he has kindly chosen to uphold us for a time. Mm. And that's been happening the last fi- past six years. And insofar as he continues to do that, Banner will still be here. Mm. But if, if his purposes for us are over, which they might be, we want to be, try to be humble enough to know we don't have to exist for our own sake. We just mm-hmm. exist for the Lord and, and to his bride. And if, if he, you know, if he didn't want, doesn't want us here, then we're happy to close our doors. Um, mm. But it's it's been his his kindness to sustain us and bless the work is really what separate or what's helped us over these years. Amen, amen. So if he does will that uh, banner of truth continues, what uh, what does the future look like for you guys? Um, what does the future look like for Banner? Honestly, this is kind of a boring answer, but <laughs> I kind of like it. Not much different. Um, hopefully, Lord willing, we will just stay the course, continue yeah. to promote. You know, we love we love being involved in, in the ministers' conferences and being able to serve men in ministry that way. We are, we love the Banner Magazine, which we started with so long ago, like a regular diet of stuff into your home. And now it comes in different formats now, and it comes in electronic and PDF or or, or ebook or pardon me, like um, ebook or physical but maybe it maybe comes an audio format or it's yeah. you know the, the format might change but the content more willing to say the same mm. and then just continue to find good books uh, that we can uh, put in front of people um you know the way that we reach people changes but the what we reach them with lord willing won't change and and so i think as, as i look into the next 10 years i see banner continuing to promote books continuing to reach people hopefully reaching more people taking advantage of new marketing um abilities with social media and email um, i say new i don't email's been around for a long time that might concern some people if they're like the sales guy at banner just said that new things like email <laughs> but, uh, you know we know we have heard of email email's cutting edge we are about to we are about to use it soon. <laughs> so we still we have an email list we've had it for decades but um you know just What's new? What's what's new way to reach people and help them and try not to be and try not to spam them and yeah, you know, it's it's a delicate uh, delicate uh, line to walk. But um, yeah, trying to be faithful and continue what we're doing. Great. So for um, for folks who may not be uh, so familiar with Banner Truth, um, you mentioned the Watson book, but uh, and and I'll link to your website in the show notes, but. Could you maybe suggest a few others that um, uh, that are good books, that are staples, that that uh, uh, you you know would would benefit others who uh, who checked out Banner of Truth for the first time? Sure, um, I think if I think the very first book I might point someone towards um, 
would be Godly Man's Picture by Thomas Watson, which is a personal favorite of mine. I think other staff would point people to different books, and, and that's because, you know, the Lord uses different books in our lives in different ways. But that one, me, if you've never heard of the Puritans, you've never heard of the Banner of Truth, I would, I would take a risk, get your feet wet, yeah. and dive into Thomas Watson's Godly Man's Picture, and I think you will be introduced to a whole new world. Mm. Um, you know, if I heard someone else explaining you know, Puritans, you know, we believe the gospel is supposed to affect all of our lives. And we believe that God in his word speaks to all of our lives. And so what we're trying to do in, as we grow in grace and we work out our salvation with fear and trembling and, you know, progressive sanctification is we're trying to take all of our lives and put it under the microscope of God's word and ask, how can I glorify God in this part of my life, in this part of my life? Yeah. You know, we, we all know that to have this like double, you know, two-faced Christianity where we look like one one way on Sunday and the rest of the week we look we live like a dumber man. Yeah, that's hypocritical and not what it means to be follow Christ. We know that, and so the alternative to that is to to try to live for Christ in every aspect. Mm. And in that book, that's exactly what he does. He tries to show you how you apply the word to godliness in in our in our faith and our leadership in our homes. Someone's calling in right now because they want to get a copy of this book. <laughs> they want that Watson book. I, I didn't realize that this podcast was live now. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and, uh, and, and so that, that's a, a great book, the Watson book on Godliness. I encourage that. Okay. Um, another, another book would be something by, probably by Sinclair Ferguson, which is a more recent. He's still alive um, <laughs> as far as I know. <laughs> and uh, uh, he, he recently wrote a book on maturity. Uh, growing up and going on in the Christian life, which is, mm. I found it to be excellent. Mm. Um, he's a deep writer, deep thinker. And he, I love, I love how he works through passages of scripture. It's not like he's got my 10 points and a couple of verses here. You're right. usually working through a passage and, and drawing some application points from a passage of scripture. Mm. Uh, so his book on maturity has been excellent. Um, and then uh, let me think what else? Oh, well, my favorite, my very favorite banner book that I always recommend is uh, John Payton's autobiography. Okay. Which is a 500-page like cloth-bound, big old beauty of a book. Mm. And uh, it, it is just another world. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, John Payton was a, was a faithful minister in Scotland whose ministry was being blessed by the Lord. But then he's, he's convicted that he needs to go to the cannibals in uh, the New Hebrides, which is now called Vanuatu, because they've never heard the gospel. And, wow. and this is like at the, eight, at the time in church history where Christianity was kind of just waking up to missions and to going to the, the nations. There was a time when most Christians didn't believe we, ought, we had to go to the nations with the gospel. I mean, to a lot of these aboriginals, I mean, there's a time where Peyton is trying to explain to uh, some churches in Australia to get fundraising that look these these Aboriginal or these these native they have souls. Mm. A lot of people didn't think they had souls. They didn't even mm. they thought they were like a different class of human. Which is wow. This was only like you know, two hundred years ago. It was shocking. Mm. Um, and and so he's explaining that he's trying to get fundraising. He's out there preaching the gospel. At one point, the cannibals are trying to like kill him and his family. He's got like a machete in his one hand and. He's a revolver, and he's trying to remind them that the you know God will bring a man of war, which is one of those big boats. <laughs> if you kill me, the, the boats will be angry, and so he's trying to stop them. 
but then he's preaching the gospel. Wow. Just talk about frontline missions mm. and a man who, who was convinced in the power of the gospel to change people's lives. Wow. I just found it a page turning account of missions. Mm. And, uh, and then the first like 150 pages of the book, uh, are about, or maybe a hundred pages are, are Peyton's life growing up in a Christian home and in a solid Christian home. And particularly he reflects on how his father's, holiness and walk with the Lord impacted him as a young boy. And I, I found that just incredibly convicting mm. the impact that his dad had on him for holiness mm. and, and in following the Lord. And I thought, wow, I'm a father. How does my life, because my, in some way it does for yeah. good or for real, yeah. my life is impacting my kids for eternity. Mm. I'm not saying that because I'm their dad, I can change their hearts and make them Christians. I can do that. Only the Lord can do that. But mm. Can shepherd them, I can lead them in the way they should go, or I cannot. I can lead, mm. I can lead them astray, mm. you know, down to like you know, the doubting castle or off the you know, off the, the way, right? Um, and so, that that was just very convicting and kind of a huge, a hugely helpful book in my life. So, John Payton's autobiography, if you like history, anything by Ian Murray, anything written by Ian Murray is worth reading, yeah, he's devotional. He's, he's a devotional, historical theological writer and he's telling history but he's teaching you theology and he's pricking the conscience at times he's he's causing you to stop and look up to christ and, and meditate on what he's done so very enriching reading um anything by Ian Murray, I'd recommend too so I, I could go i mean i could go on for like an hour talking about books you should read but those are great look at Godly man's picture look at peyton's autobiography maybe something by sinclair ferguson or, or ian Murray as well wonderful maybe. And I'll uh, I'll link those in the show notes. Uh, I'll be sure to get a direct link to those books you mentioned. So, um, Pat, I really appreciate your time, uh, brother. Thank you so much, and uh, I hope many people uh, discover Banner of Truth who've not yet done so. And uh, I hope you have many years left of uh, producing great books. Thanks, brother. Thanks for having me on. You bet, man. Well, again, that was Pat Daly, uh, manager for North America with Banner of Truth. And so please head on over to reclamationworship.com. Check out the resources. Follow the link to Banner of Truth. And uh, if you have any comments or questions, please reach out to me uh, on social media. I'm on Twitter at Reclamation HQ. We're on Instagram at Reclamation Worship and Facebook at Reclamation Worship. If you've not been to iTunes yet, please subscribe to Reclamation Worship. Give us a rating and a review. We are also on Spotify if you are a Spotifyer, so follow us there. Until next time, Soli Deo Gloria.